0: Hello, and welcome to this audio edition of Philip Pusher's Program Notes for upcoming concerts by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. My name is Rich Caparella. Concerts by the CSO on Thursday, April 19th through Saturday, the 21st, feature Riccardo Muti joined by harpist Sarah Bullen and the women of the Chicago Symphony Chorus. The program includes two works by Debussy, Nocturnes for Orchestra and the Dances Sacred and Profane, and after intermission, all Tchaikovsky, Francesca da Remini, and a suite from the ballet Swan Lake. Here are Philip Pusher's program notes on Nocturnes for Orchestra by Debussy, the performance time around 25 minutes. Late in 1894, Debussy wrote to the great Belgian violinist Eugenie Zay, I am working on three nocturnes for violin and orchestra that are intended for you. This is, in fact, an experiment in the various arrangements that can be made with a single color, as a painter might make a study in gray, for example. When this music was ultimately recast for orchestra alone, Debussy kept the title, one that may have been suggested by a series of paintings by the American artist James McNeill Whistler that he greatly admired. Whistler was living in Paris at the time. He was a friend of Mallarmé and Proust, and he met Debussy in the late 1880s. Whistler often gave his paintings musical titles, Symphony in White, Capriccio, Harmony in Violet and Yellow, to underline their abstract, non-narrative nature. And in the 1870s, he painted a series called Nocturnes. It's also worth remembering, given Debussy's description of his Nocturnes, that Whistler's most famous canvas, the one we inevitably call Whistler's Mother, was actually entitled Arrangement in Gray and Black Number 1. Debussy's first sketches for his Nocturnes date back to 1892, before he had become famous almost overnight for the Prelude to the Afternoon of a Faun, but he only began to work on the score in earnest in 1897. Progress was made in fits and starts and always with unusual difficulty. The following year was particularly rough. Debussy was hounded by creditors, Discouraged that his works were regularly overlooked, irritated by the success of Foray's incidental music for Maeterlinck's Pelias et Melisande, while his own opera on the same subject sat in limbo, and wounded by the breakup with his longtime mistress, Gaby Dupont. The three nocturnes suffered along with the composer, and in the end, after they were finally completed, he told his publisher that they have given me more trouble than the five acts of Pellias. Debussy was perfectly frank about the cause. The three nocturnes have been infected by my private life, first full of hope, then full of despair, and then full of nothing.' I've never been able to work at anything when my life's going through a crisis, which is, I think, why memory is a superior faculty, because you can pick from it the emotions you need. But those who write masterpieces in floods of tears are barefaced liars. Debussy completed the Nocturnes just before the turn of the century, five years after his last orchestral score, The Prelude to the Afternoon of a Fawn. The premiere in 1900, which omitted the third nocturne, was well received. However, Debussy complained that at the first complete performance the next year, the music was drowned out by the audience's rude whistling, particularly in the previously unheard siren, sirens, with its unprecedented use of a wordless chorus of women's voices. By then, Debussy had begun to take these things in stride, unlike Whistler, who sued the critic John Ruskin for writing that with his nocturne in black and gold, the falling rocket, he had flung a pot of paint in the public's face. Whistler won token damages, but incurred such a high legal cost that he eventually went bankrupt. The nocturnes, quickly made their way to all of the world's major orchestras. The Chicago Symphony Orchestra played the first two in 1915. Sometimes they were led by the composer himself. When Debussy conducted them in London in 1908, Sir Henry Wood recalled that the composer, who quite candidly was not a good conductor, even of his own works, lost the beat, and eventually his place as well, in the middle of festivals, fete, and tried, with even less success, to get the orchestra to stop. It proudly played on to the very end. Although the nocturnes don't reveal the turmoil of Debussy's private life at the time, nor the difficulty he had writing them, they are, as he freely admitted, reflections of personal experiences— The idea for clouds, nuage, came to him one particularly calm night as he stood on the Soferino Bridge, watching the clouds passing across a moonless sky and reflected by the sun, without a ripple, like a tarnished mirror. The flute music heard near the middle of the piece recalls afternoon of a fawn. Debussy was inspired to write fête, festivals, after walking through the Bois de Boulogne, where he caught glimpses of distant lights and swarming crowds. Sirene, sirens, takes us far from Paris to the sea, a subject Debussy would portray in greater detail, but to no greater effect in his next orchestral work, La Mer, the sea. Sirens is a forerunner of that landmark work, but it's no mere study or sketch. It's a richly imagined, fully developed, and quite visionary seascape in its own right. Nonetheless, there are unmistakable cross-references like the repeated trumpet call between the two scores. And Debussy's use of the wordless chorus to extend the orchestra's range of colors is a masterstroke he would never surpass. And here is Debussy himself on nocturnes. The title nocturnes must be taken here in a general and more particularly decorative sense. These are not nocturnes in the usual musical meaning of the word, but rather nocturnes with respect to all the various impressions and the special effects of light that the word suggests." Nuage, clouds, renders the immutable sky and the slow, solemn motion of the clouds fading away in shades of gray, slightly tinged with white. Festivals, fete, portrays the restless dancing rhythms of the night sky, interspersed with sudden flashes of light. The episode of the procession, a dazzling and fantastic vision, passes through the festival, becoming a part of it but the background remains persistently the same, the festival, its mixture of music and luminous dust, participating in cosmic rhythms. Sirens, sirene, depicts the sea and its immutable rhythm. Amid the waves turned to silver by the moon, we hear the mysterious song of the sirens laughing and fading away. Words by Debussy and program notes by Philip Pusher on The Three Nocturnes by Claude Debussy. And now on to a suite from Swan Lake, ballet by Tchaikovsky. The performance time for the suite, about 31 minutes. We owe the first of Tchaikovsky's great ballet scores, Swan Lake, to Tanya and Anna Davidova, the children of Tchaikovsky's beloved sister, Sasha. When Uncle Pyotr whipped up an afternoon's entertainment to delight his nieces sometime during the summer of 1871, he never could have guessed Swan Lake would become the classic monument of ballet. He also never suspected that Anna would one day marry the son of Naja von Meck, the only woman Tchaikovsky ever loved, although their passion was expressed solely in letters and music. We know little about that first Swan Lake, except that it was hastily written and premiered as a modest do-it-yourself production during the summer holiday at Kamenka, where the composer often went to take in the country air. Four years later, when the Imperial Theatre in Moscow commissioned a full-length ballet, Tchaikovsky naturally remembered that he had one already started. Taking some of that music, rescuing other passages from his first two ill-fated operas, Undine and Voyavoda, and writing a good deal more including some last-minute additions purely to appease the bolshoi's star ballerinas tchaikovsky created the first of his three great ballets the sleeping beauty and the nutcracker came much later at the first performances in march 1877 swan lake was far from the popular success it is today the dancers were uneven the scenery and costumes shabby the choreography, pedestrian, and the conductor, inept. A semi-amateur, in the words of Tchaikovsky's brother, who had never before been faced with so complicated a score. Several numbers in Tchaikovsky's score were cut because they were too difficult to play and to dance. Pieces by Cesar Apuñi, pedestrian but easily danced, were added, audience members can hardly be blamed for failing to notice Tchaikovsky's uncanny way of writing melodies that begged to be danced, or his knack for suggesting character through orchestral color. There were a few additional performances of the ballet during the composer's lifetime, and with each one, Tchaikovsky's score was further diminished by substitutions of other music, and the plot graced with new twists. Not for the only time in his career, Tchaikovsky came to doubt his music's merit. He wrote to Najda von Meck, I tell you that Swan Lake is not fit to hold a candle to Dalib's Sylvia. Swan Lake won great success only in the celebrated 1895 production, staged by Marius Petipa and Lev Ivanov, two years after Tchaikovsky's death. Eventually, Swan Lake with its sheer beauty of melodies and the richness of its orchestral colors was recognized as a turning point in ballet music. The finest parts of Tchaikovsky's full score have long been performed in various orchestral suites, none of them authorized by the composer who never suspected that Swan Lake would find itself a home in the concert hall, or that this tale of the bachelor, Prince Siegfried and Odette, who had been turned into a swan by an evil sorcerer, would be reinterpreted again and again through the ages. The suite from Swan Lake performed at this concert includes many of the best-known numbers, beginning with the opening scene with its famous oboe solo gliding over harp arpeggios followed by one of music's greatest waltz melodies and continuing with some of the most brilliant dance music we have on the ballet stage or in the concert hall. Program notes by Philip Husher on a suite from Tchaikovsky's ballet, Swan Lake. My name is Rich Caparella, thanks for listening.